to Future Facing Farms, a one-time podcast series on six Minnesota farms at the forefront of conservation and environmental stewardship. Yes, we are so excited that you're joining us. You're along for this ride with us, and I, for one, am stoked to learn some more about what farmers are experimenting with right here in our backyard. My colleague and friend Sarah Kocher is my co-host for episode two of the podcast, and I'm Nora Hurdle. We're reporters with the St. Cloud Times in central Minnesota, and this podcast is supported by the MIT Environmental Solutions Journalism Fellowship. In this episode, we are talking about cover crops. We're talking about carbon markets. We're talking about carbon sequestration. Woo, cover crops. Cover crops actually inspired this entire project. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's cool. We're also going to feature a family farm with gorgeous Jersey cows. They are the soft brown cows with beautiful eyes that look like they are traced in eyeliner. Jen Wagner-Lar's grandfather used to call them blue-eyed blondes. She and her husband, Larry Lar, live on a Cold Spring farm that's been in Larry's family for three generations. They had adorable kittens all over their porch when I visited in September. But before I get ahead of myself, I think we need a few definitions. All right, I think we should start with, let's start with carbon sequestration, Nora. Tell me what that is. Okay, that's a big word that means basically drawing carbon from the air, carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas, and then locking it up in a tree or in the soil. Um, And by doing that, you draw down the level of carbon dioxide in the air. And as many of us know, we have too much carbon dioxide in the air from burning fossil fuels or um, other practices like our long history of agriculture, um, industrial agriculture, and um, other practices since the Industrial Revolution. So we've got too much carbon dioxide in the air, and we can draw some of it down with plants because they absorb it through photosynthesis and they lock it up in soil, they lock it up in trees or in um, other plants like uh, grasslands. So is that sort of the role that cover crops can play too? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, so cover crops are planted um, between, um, they can be planted between rows of existing crops, between rows of corn for example. Um, They can also be planted kind of around that um, season, around the season of, um, you know, you harvest your corn, you harvest your soybeans, and then you can plant something else so that that soil is not exposed. Because when the soil is exposed, you can lose carbon through it. But if you keep something living in the soil, um, you keep um, those nutrients locked into the locked into the soil. Gotcha. I almost said dirt. It's definitely not dirt. Okay. All right. Soil. We'll be very specific about our <laughs> very specific about our language. Good to know. Soil. Um, so the one that I'm the least familiar with on this list is carbon markets. And I know you've been doing a lot of reporting about that. So I would love for you to explain that a little bit more too. Yeah. So this episode is going to feature a pilot project, a, a carbon marketplace that's in the works. Um, basically, there are brokers or companies that are developing that are in development now and they are hiring farmers or paying farmers, paying landowners with forests to um, to sequester that carbon, to keep planting or to avoid chopping down trees, that kind of thing, so that the carbon stays locked up in the soil or the plants. And then they 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 count up what amounts to about a ton of carbon, so maybe a half acre or an acre of 
of that foliage and then they sell that to a company um, that wants to offset their carbon footprint. So um, all these tech companies um, like Microsoft and Amazon, they you know they use a lot of green they burn a lot of greenhouse gases for transporting materials to deliver it or running their servers all of that takes a lot of energy and results in greenhouse gas emissions and and they can't reduce all those emissions though of course we need to be trying to reduce emissions but they they want to offset them and then we need to make sure that when they are paying you know they're paying to say well we burned a ton of carbon um, with this uh, flight or you know with this um, transportation fleet that we have we we want to offset that and make sure that there's also a ton of carbon or however many tons of carbon to make up for that that stayed locked up in a forest or in the soil and there's a lot of debate about you know how reliable this is and how we need to make sure that the math really adds up because if we're not actually doing what we're say what we say we're doing we're not really going to mitigate climate change but um, in any case the goal of car carbon markets is to offset those emissions that we have a hard time cutting. So essentially a big corporation with a lot of carbon emissions, so your examples were one of them was like Amazon, they could be paying a person in central Minnesota or Minnesota or somewhere to have X amount of land that is sequestering carbon as sort of like an offset for what they are putting out into yeah. the atmosphere or the environment. Yeah. And Is there's that right? A, yes. Okay. And but there's a lot of there's there's not a lot of regulation. There's a lot of people are calling it the Wild West. There's a lot of um, uh, new startups coming on. All these middlemen are kind of um, trying to broker that relationship between the companies that want to be sustainable because their customers want them to be sustainable. And then, you know, the, the landowners that actually have grassland or cropland or forests that can sequester carbon because that's what plants do. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty in the, in the marketplace right now. But anyway, we can, there's a lot of hope too. So it's, it's an exciting time to look into it. Okay. So we've run through some of these definitions to help us kind of understand what we're talking about. Now I want to hear about this farm that we're going to talk about this week. Jen and Larry live on this Cold Spring farm with their three kids, Ella, Izzy, and Liam. Um, we did a tour. We walked around and looked at all their cows, um, all their cattle, and they have a ton of cats, as I mentioned before. Ella has a great cat that followed her around, like like a little puppy, right at her heel. Um, and the family dog Angus followed, came along as well. Um, they they have a total of 475 acres in Cold Spring. Um, that the house and the barns are kind of up on this hill, and you can look out over the fields. It's really pretty. Mm. Um, Larry and his brother Randy farm 430 acres of corn and soybeans because it was his family's farm um, back a couple generations. And then Larry and Jen keep about 450 head of cattle and then a little bit of crop land too. And then they have Holsteins as well as those Jersey cows. Holsteins black and white, you know, what you might typically think of. Uh, they live in this yellow brick house that Larry grew up in. 
Um, they get a lot of visits from kids in the neighborhood, friends, um, other community people who are curious about their operation. And um, that kind of attention has increased in the last 20 years, Larry said. We've been farming, I think from the time we started farming for my parents, I think that was 99 or something. So it's been about 22 years. And just even in a couple decades, we see that there is a lot more, people pay a lot more attention to what we do as farmers. And so we, we did an experimental crop last year. Um, and it garnered, <laughs> purple haze, it garnered just a, a massive amount of attention to the point where people were um, stopping in, contacting us, pulling plants from the field to take it home to people they thought would know what crop it was. It was uh, an arrangement with a company. Um, now it's part of our, our arrangement is that we wouldn't disclose what they were growing, how they were growing it, that kind of thing. But it was just one of those things where you find out how much people pay attention as they drive down um, a country road as to what their surroundings are. So they were growing something and they couldn't tell people what they were growing. Correct. So it, it was like a mystery crop. Yes. And people were pulling it out of their field to be like, yes. what is this strange crop? Yes, and they, they wouldn't tell me and they wouldn't tell our photographer either. Okay, so they it sounds like they've tried some different things on their farm, including this mystery crop. Yes, yeah. And they have a solar installation with pollinator habitat on the same site. So they have some honey produced, solar honey produced on their farm. They got certified this spring in the Minnesota Agricultural Water Quality Program, and they're part of a pilot program to start planting cover crops this fall as part of a new carbon market. It's through the Ecosystem Services Market Consortium, which is a real mouthful. Um, there's not a lot of data to back up these new soil carbon markets, uh, but Jen um, likes that their participation in the project will help build up that bank of data. And she thinks, um, she thinks there's an interest in cover crops and these practices beyond carbon markets, which I heard as well. Um, and we're going to cover that in other episodes of the podcast, okay. too. Genuinely believing that it's going to have a positive. It may not be as positive as we're hoping, but there will be a positive. And if nothing else, some of these practices have been touted for a long time just for soil health, not necessarily for carbon or what it does for water, um, but just for a soil health and um, regenerating the soil so um, some of the productivity gains could be um, reason enough for producers to stick with it. But when farmers try new practices like planting cover crops, they're taking financial risk and many don't have much wiggle room to make mistakes. And that's another reason I think some of these, these national markets are interesting because there you potentially have some revenue, additional revenue that you can then put into a new piece of equipment or a used new piece of equipment, <laughs> which is typically what we're, what we're getting. Farmers, I mean, yeah, they're, it's how they make a living, but I mean, it's, it's their way of life. Had to have that little cow in there. It was amazing, it made my day. All the producers that I met on this project want to do right by the environment, but they're feeling more pressure. Why do you think that is? When we talk about climate change, we know the energy sector and transportation are responsible for a lot of emissions. Um, in Minnesota, agriculture is the source of a quarter of our emissions. 
But are we also looking at agriculture to absorb emissions through these carbon markets? Yes, but there's some debate about shouldn't we let agriculture take care of its own emissions before providing credit to other industries? And that puts farmers in a hot seat. It is very easy to start to internalize some of those, the negative comments that you hear so much these days especially. You have such immediate access, whether you want it to or not, to those negative comments. There just seems to be such an abundance. So it's very easy to, to get defensive about it and to internalize it. Uh, I guess that's part of why it seems like, you know, although we for all this time we just try to run our own operation, you know, run it cleanly, do it well. And just as of lately, I think we've began focusing more on maybe uh, providing a message as to the positive things we're doing uh, with the solar, for instance. Even though we're farmers, there's, I think, some progressive things that we're doing. And we're behind the game in some respects. We're ahead of the game in others, as, as you know, in our own operation. But uh, farmers are doing some innovative things. And, you know, things don't happen in a year's time necessarily like the public might like to see. But, again, just looking over the past 20 years to see some of the changes that have made. And I think, too, just in terms of, you know, it used to be pretty much corn, soybeans, and alfalfa, as you mentioned. But now... There is such a variety of crops growing in this area, which is good for so many reasons, um, including environmentally. And so um, there is a lot of positive change that occurs in a fairly short period of time, but it's not necessarily in the time period that um, some members of the public would like to see. So it is a difficult thing, and that's the thing. So if farmers are part of the solution, those do take time to develop, and it takes things like a, this pilot project, for instance, to find the right answer before you're fully invested in things, obviously. And um, I think it's just t the time to be transparent as farmers. So you can hear some of the farm sounds in the background, some of uh, their kids coming in and out and yeah. talking. It's, it's interesting to hear him talk about specifically the time pressure. Like when you think about some of the news that's been coming out recently about um, progress that needs to be made in terms of our, our climate health and health of all of our ecosystems on Earth and um, sort of the shrinking time span that we have to make some significant changes in order to sort of maintain health and, you know, species existence and things like that. I think it's easy from the public perspective, you know, I hear people feeling that pressure to make something happen now. So it's, it's, inter it's interesting and you can understand how he would say, well, you know, these things can't happen overnight. We have to, we have to try new things. And, you know, there's, there's sort of a time frame, and, you know, growing things and working with right. the earth right and so exactly. to hear, you know to hear him say like yeah we we hear you you know we hear what you're where you feel the pressure but like please understand that we 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 can only do so much in so much time in order to to make those right gains. and every every farm is different and every producer is different they have to balance their books they can't just turn on a dime and if you're outside of agriculture too, I mean, if you have no connection to like a farmer or to um, to agriculture at all, I think you know you just drive by on the highway and you see people out in their combines harvesting their corn at night, and you see that year after year, and you know you might not necessarily think of um, agriculture as a space of innovation if you're not you know in that or hearing people who are who are working on those innovative techniques. Yeah, but it is. It's really exciting time for yeah. Ag, I think. Exciting and uh, pressured, it sounds like. Yes. 
So what's next on this? Um, Larry has some insight on that. And I should say, Jen also works um, in agriculture. So they, they are a great couple. They have a lot of insight into the industry. And it's interesting because there was a national farming conference we go to once in a while. We've gone there a few times. And it's amazing how much that conversation is on cover crops is happening at that national level. Very large farmers, large-scale farmers. And that's a very primary topic right now is cover crops. And so it's good to see you've got the very large producers, a handful of them, but there's the very large producers who are usually very, uh, very focused on conventional farming methods, quick and efficient. And you have the people at that level talking about them, and then you see the implementation happening also in the very small farms where they can pull it off with a smaller number of acres. And so it's happening at both ends of the spectrum in terms of farm operations. So I'm assuming it'll be more common in the United States over time. So listening to Larry, it sounds like cover crops are really um, gaining some serious notoriety in the larger farming community right now. Yeah, I mean, the adoption rates vary in Minnesota. The last number I saw was like five or three to five percent but there are some organizations the land stewardship project wants to make that 50 percent in less than 10 years they're trying to get that passed into state law and we'll see if that happens but even still there's kind of a um, there's there's adoption that's happening without you know legal pressure there's other, you know, there's these financial incentives instead, which a lot of people agree is the way to go because a lot of farmers are really um, independent, independent, they're independent business people. So where do we learn more about this? Um, I've got a story on the pilot program, the ESMC or Ecosystem Services Market Consortium pilot, um, and the, the LARS are involved in that. Um, that's at sctimes.com. Uh, Plus, we have a lot of photos of their farm and the family um, and the other producers that are featured in the podcast um, at sctimes.com. And you can also follow follow them on Facebook directly at LAHR Heritage Acres. Okay. You say you have a lot of photos of the farm and the family. So do we get to see these cats and these blue-eyed blonde cows? Yes, to the Jersey cows. I think we've got a couple pictures of the cats. There's a great one. Um, uh, there's this big um, mound of silage covered in plastic, and uh, one of their kids climbs up it, and the cat followed, and then the dog followed, and they're like 20 feet up in the air. It's great. I can't wait to see them. So this has been a blast. What's coming up for episode three? We are visiting Dream of Wild Health Farm, which is near the Twin Cities. It's a nonprofit that serves the Minneapolis St. Paul Native American community. I met their seed keeper and learned about some of their farming practices there. That sounds really interesting. I don't know anything about seed keeping, so I'll have to tune in. Yes. You know, think um, heirloom varieties, but um, there's more to it than that. Little teaser for you there. Awesome. Stay tuned for more. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Nora. And thanks to all of our listeners. We hope that you join us again soon.